This is the Blattcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world, hosted by Christian Blatt. Just seeing my way, do I have to keep on talking till I can't go on? Why you see it your way, when the risk of knowing that I love may soon be gone? We can't work it out, we can't work it out, think of what you're saying. So kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. And now, here's Christian Blatt. Welcome to the Blackcast. Very excited for this conversation. Making his triumphant return, triumphant for me, not necessarily so much for him, to the Blackcast, musician Brian Wheat, uh, best known for Tesla, their latest album from earlier this year, Five Man London Jam. And he's also now an author with the book Son of a Milkman, which will be released December 15th. So by the time you're seeing and or hearing this, uh, you'll find that the book is already available. First of all, Brian, thank you so much. It's great to get a chance to talk to you again. Oh, thanks for having me back, man. It's always nice to talk to you. Yeah. And uh, for people watching the video uh, and, and, you know, you'll be able to see a thumbnail, even if you're just uh, listening to the audio version, they're going to see you and I were talking right before we started. You, you have uh, really turned into the skid of the uh, COVID beard. And uh, it seems very likely you might be able to find some uh, part-time seasonal work this time of year, if you were to be so inclined. Well, you know, I, I, they don't know when we'll play concerts again. Yeah. So, um, you know, no one can give us a straight answer. So I'm protesting. I'm not dyeing my hair. I'm not cutting it. I'm not trimming my beard. And I want to see how long it can go. I mean, you know, maybe it'll be down to my, my, my belly by the time we're able to actually play a show. So well, uh, at, at that point, uh, Tesla would have to tour with ZZ Top just so that you could fit in, you know? Yeah, well, I'll shave it as soon as they, as soon <laughs> as I know for sure I'm playing a concert again, yeah. I'll shave and, and get back to, you know, looking like normal Brian bass player. But right now yeah. this is Brian. I'm in quarantine, COVID, who the hell knows what's going on in this wacky world? Yeah, it, it's been the, it's kind of an interesting thing in the, the, you know, these months that I've talked to a lot of musicians, you know, early on, it was like, yeah, you know, we're hopeful uh, by the fall, you know, this is what they were saying, like in the spring, you know, that maybe by the end of summer. And, you know, it's kind of gotten to a point where you'll, you'll get a couple guys who've played a gig, you know, like a big, like outdoor in Colorado or something every once in a while, there's like one offs that you, you, you find mm -hmm. do. But for the most part, it's like, yeah, I just hope I get to play ever again. You know, I mean, it's just like, cause you can't, you can't put a time frame on it. And I know uh, I spoke with your uh, bandmate, uh, Frank Hannon uh, over the summer. And he, of course, as I'm sure you all were, were uh, disappointed as me as a fan, I would have loved to have seen you, uh, you guys out on tour with uh, Leah Ford 
and uh, Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper, yeah. yeah. Uh, you guys were going to play the Hollywood Bowl. I uh, I was very excited for that, uh, and I can mm-hmm. imagine that getting to getting to do those shows uh, would have been would have been great. But uh, you know, it's not just you guys that that sort of thing happened to. It, it basically your whole year got upended. You know, probably. Well, the, the whole industry. Yeah. The whole industry is down, you know, and, and and no one's able to do anything. And you know, for that for that matter, even I think the film industry. So, you know, um, who knows, man, I, I hope they get it together soon. Yeah. Figure out what's going on. I mean, you know, you don't hear about it for months on end and then all of a sudden it's back in full force. And it, I, you know, I don't know what to believe to be quite honest with you. I believe that there, there is COVID and it's out there and, you know, locking down the country to this extent I, I don't know i mean you know who knows i know it's you know definitely uh, affecting millions and millions of people so let's just hope that the karma gods are good and we can all get back to something that resembles some sense of normalcy again yeah, no, I think that that's really what what is great. And, you know, as as cool as it's been, you know, you've had a, a handful of bands who have done sort of like live streams that you can pay for and things like that. It, it, it's nice to have instead of nothing, but it's it's just, it's not a replacement in any way. And you have a lot of bands who, you know, sat out most of the year, they just didn't want to put out their albums. But then you finally have, you know, you're starting to see more and more of them, you know, different genres and stuff. But you know, Bruce Springsteen finally put out an album and ACDC was like, you know, people have been waiting for this for a while. Let's just put it out, you know, so. Yeah. I, and, yeah. And, and your album came out in the spring, the one I referenced earlier, Five Man London Jam. I mean, uh, you know, it. Uh, I think that came out kind of before uh, all this kicked off, wasn't it? Because it was about April it kicked off. Wasn't yeah, it? that's true. I think when it, it was really, yeah, it, it sort of like kind of snuck in right there fairly late. And uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, before we dive into the book, uh, I wanted to just mention how much I enjoy that album. I was always a fan of the original, uh, you know, Five Man Acoustical Jam from uh, 1990, and I think that's that's great. And I what I love about this one, obviously, is the band has you know a couple decades more songs to choose from and some great covers mixed in as well. Mm-hmm. But the best thing I'm going to assume for you guys in the band was that you did this show at Abbey Road, right? Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, me sitting in Abbey Road number two, playing my Hoffner bass on We Can Work It Out, singing, you know, with Jeff was a pretty big, I was on air, walking on air, you know, it was was pretty cool knowing that McCartney was somewhere in that room playing his Hoffner bass, singing We Can Work It Out, you know, in 1965. Yeah. was pretty cool for me. Yeah, no, I can imagine, uh, you know, it, it's uh, one of those things that even people not in the music industry, obviously Abbey Road sort of has this legend to it uh, more so than, you know, really anywhere else. And uh, sort of transitioning to your being a fan of the Beatles, I thought it was, you know, there's a, a really nice forward to your book from Joe Elliott. And mm. uh, in it, he talks about how he first really got to know you. I guess you guys had a hotel room uh, next to each other. And he heard yeah. you playing Paul McCartney and Wings, and then he just sort of uh, invited himself over, right? And you guys started talking about Beatles. Yeah, he knocked on the door. Me and Frank used to room back, uh, share room back then. 
and uh, it was Joe, and he said, hey, what's up? And I guess he was in the room next to us, and he heard us, and they're, you know, playing wings and carrying on, and he came in and stayed till about four or five in the morning, and we, you know, we had a couple of guitars, and we were singing all these, you know, obscure wings songs, and we bonded over Paul McCartney, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's uh, really cool. And, you know, in the uh, the forward, you know, Joe, very funny guy in that, you know, he's just like, yeah, you know, you, I guess he says that you kind of remember he and Def Leppard kind of ignoring you guys the first time you were on tour. And he's just sort of like, you know, I don't remember it that way, but it's Brian's book. So uh, I'll, I'll let it stand. No, it was that. him. It wasn't the band. It was him. Oh, it was just the Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody you know, else. He, he's like my brother. Sure. Joe is and yeah. uh, you know we're really at home with Brian here so we're gonna just this is good this is perfect do its thing and, you know um, uh, it was him because he was you know he was very that was you know the first thing they had done it was in England and he was just he wasn't rude or standoffish or anything he just wasn't around and you know, I, w I would hang out with Clark and Phil Collin and, you know, I'd see Sab and, and Rick Allen, but Joe was never around. So I thought, you know, then that maybe just Joe didn't, didn't like us. And then, you know, and then, like I said, you know, we get to Glens Falls or wherever we were. I think it was Glens Falls. Yeah, that's what it says in the, in the phone. Yeah. That day, he's been like my best friend in a rock band. Yeah, and uh, you know, you guys have uh, obviously toured with Def Leppard a number of times over the years. Uh, I, I saw mm -hmm. you guys with them and uh, Poison. It was a few years ago now. I forget how many years ago, but uh, always, uh, you know, always good. It's always a good combination to see you guys together. So uh, it's nice that the the friendship has continued. And I know that uh, Phil from Def Leppard obviously uh, produced the the last uh, actual studio album that the band. Did. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're. You know that that band is brethren to us. I mean, they're like you know there there's a kinship there. We had the same managers back in you know the heyday. We had the same manager today. We've always stayed in touch, you know. Um, and you know, I was on the email with Joe last night. You know, he's in Dublin. I'm in New York, and and uh, you know, I talked to Phil last week. So, you know. They're not a bad set of, um, you know, mentors or big brothers to have. They've always been that way since we met them. They always have encouraged us to do, you know, the best work we could. And, you know, I think there's a spot, a soft spot for us with them as well. You know what I mean? They kind of, you know, they look at us like, you know, we're similar backgrounds five-piece band we all grew up kind of you know lower middle class whatever from a working town and a lot of similarities between Def Leppard and Tesla and musically as well I mean look we me and Frank when we first started playing we used to do uh Def Leppard songs you know we, sure yeah we, we you know we learned how to write songs from doing Def Leppard songs they were a big part of our inspiration yeah, no, I mean that that uh, obviously you can you can certainly see because of the the time that you guys would have gotten together before you you know started you know writing and recording your own material would be sort mm -hmm. of the, the early pre-pyromania Def Leppard. Yeah, well, high and dry, yeah. on through the night. 
even pyromania you know pyromania we we were doing rock rock and rock of ages and sure you know we've we've played it with phil and 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 clark we played rock of ages one night they got on stage with us in in amsterdam and that was before we ever that was the first time we met steve and phil and they came to the gig with our manager at the time peter minch and they got up and we had this super jam at the end which is you know it was cool it's kind of legendary so oh, yeah you know there's a pitch you know there's a couple pictures of of def leppard and tesla in my book <laughs> obviously me and joe uh, so it's cool. Yeah, no. And you know, a few weeks ago, uh, I was talking with uh, musician, Brian Ray, he's in, um, McCartney's Paul McCartney. Yeah. And we, we got to talking about, uh, Def Leppard and just sort of, because you we were talking about sort of this idea of, of singles, you know, uh, putting out singles for records. Cause he had a new song out at the time. He still has it out. Uh, and, the idea that that you know that pyromania album comes out and you know just has you know this this attack of like you know four huge songs all at once mm -hmm. most of which they you know they'd be rioting if they didn't play all of them you know when they go out on tour right now and mm -hmm. uh so that was probably a great time to kind of get in with them it's sort of you know they were obviously popular here in the u.s but as joe writes in the in the forward they weren't popular in the UK. It took like a decade into their career for them to actually be popular. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think that uh, it, it just, it, it seems like you guys really fit together well back then and now for where everybody's at. Um, I wanted to kind of uh, shift to, you know, in, in the notes for the book, because I, I sped read through a lot of it, but I haven't finished it yet. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it talks about some of your encounters or collaborations with people. And because we were talking about Paul McCartney a couple of times, I'm wondering, did you uh, ever just meet him? Have you ever collaborated with him on anything? What was your interaction I've, with I've Sir Paul? I've met him a couple of times. Okay. And, uh, I'm, you know, I've never collaborated with him. Um, and, you know, he's super, super nice and super, super friendly. But I doubt he even knew who I was, you know what I mean, when I met him. Um, the last time I saw him, met him, was uh, on his, one of the tours, I think 2004, 2005, whatever. Um, and my, my, one of my friends was this wardrobe person. So I went to the show to see Allie and, and me and my wife and, Paul came in wardrobe and said, oh, Allie, who are your friends? And she said, this is my friend, Brian and Monique. And I said, hey, man, how you doing? You know, I told him I played in a rock band called Tesla. And he said, oh, cool. Are you the lead singer? <laughs> I said, no, no, I'm the bass player. I play, I play sometimes I play a Hofner like you. And he went, oh, cool. And he was really, really friendly. But, you know, he was my hero. He's sure. still my hero. I mean, when I was a kid, it was, you know, him, Jimmy Page, and Freddie Mercury. Those three were my, my heroes. And, yeah, I have a real good friendship with Jimmy Page. He's one of my my good friends, the other good friend from a rock band. But, Paul, I, I met him, but I wouldn't say that we were friends in any sure. way, shape, or fashion. But I did get to meet my hero a couple of times. And... I wasn't let down where it's a drag. Sometimes you meet your heroes and they're real assholes. Yeah. And he, he was such a cool, just nice man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I saw him a few years ago and I think at that point he was 73 and he did like an almost three hour show. 
Oh, it's now. amazing. And and there's there's you know bands who aren't even maybe in their mid forties that you know doing ninety minutes seems like too much to ask. I'm talking about headliners, and you're no, just like, I know we're one of them. <laughs> we only do 90 minutes well i didn't mean it that way but <laughs> no but it's true i mean you know look mccartney's almost 80 now yeah and he plays two and a half almost three hours and he he, do he doesn't even take a drink of water <laughs> so you know it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing i tell people i've seen him play about 20 times sure and i just tell people when you go see paul mccartney it's like a religious experience i mean the whole crowd knows every word to every song they know every note to every lick in every song. It's just, it's, he's the best, period. Hands down, end the story. Yeah, and it's one of those things, I, I was saying this to Brian uh, Ray when I talked to him, uh, was the idea that you'll see him, it'll be a three-hour show, and you'll be like, oh, my God, that was so great. He played all the songs I want. And then you're driving home, and you think of, like, 10 more great songs he could have also played that would have been on the same level as the ones he did. But oh, at yeah, some point... He could easily play six hours show if he wanted. <laughs> it's true. I, I, I definitely agree. Uh, a couple other people that are, are referenced uh, in the book. Uh, one of my all-time favorites, we just talked about how you were supposed to be on tour with him this year, uh, will always be Alice Cooper. And you have toured with him in the past, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, so talk about how well you've known Alice. And, you know, everybody that I talk to, I guess uh, David Ellison from Megadeth is practically neighbors with him. So he always has the nicest thing. I've interviewed him a few times. He always talks about Al Alice is essentially like the mayor of Phoenix. If you're doing an event, you don't call the mayor of Phoenix to be there to open, you know, to commemorate the event. You call Alice Cooper if he's in town because he's sort of this beloved figure there. Yeah, it's true. You know, um, we, um, the second tour we ever did, the first tour we did was with David Lee Roth. And then the second tour we did, we went, weeks opening up for alice cooper and uh you know he was he was great to us he was an he was a, a just a gentleman super cool you know treated the band very well when we were on tour and um every time we were in the phoenix area you know he'd come down and see us play you know now and again we've done his christmas pudding um, sure. shows you know jeff is and frank have done them Alice is just a stand-up, straight-up dude. He's a great guy. Yeah, and you know, you referenced uh, also opening for David Lee Roth, who is you know, as as a frontman, he's just this this freak of nature to just stand in the audience and watch. I mean, I right right before uh, you know, basically when right when concerts stopped happening, I had just seen him uh, open for Kiss at the Staples Center in L.A. at the beginning of March you know, like a week later, they were like, oh, the last thing you should ever do is be around 20,000 people. So I had like a week where I was like, oh, did I, did I possibly do something? But, and I don't even know how old he is, but it's just like to, you know, and, and I, I've seen him many times over the years. It's just, he's such an entertaining character. And then, you know, you'll hear him interviewed, like Joe Rogan talked to him for three hours. He used to do a radio show and mm -hmm. he's just this, I, I don't, I don't, I, there's not a lot of people that I, that I have doubts uh, whether or not they're from earth or possibly from some other planet, but da David Lee Roth might just be that, you know, if there is an alien living among us, I think it might be Dave. Okay. <laughs> All well, right. just, 
I mean, he's just, he's just the, one of the singularly most unique people that, uh, and, and I don't know, I've, I've never spoken to him. Can't imagine I ever would have occasion to. I mean, you know, we toured with him, but I only had one conversation with him the whole time. <laughs> only one. Okay. The only yeah. one, the very last night of the tour. Um, yeah. He called us all in and told us he wanted to manage us. Oh, and, okay. <laughs> and that was the last night of the tour. And we said, well, we're managed by Q Prime, Peter and Cliff. We're pretty happy, but, you yeah. know. Thank but you. Thanks, Dave. Honestly, that, you know, I'd like to tell you that, you know, we hung out and catering and, you know, he kept pretty isolated and, you know, I, I've only, I only spoke to him one time. That's uh, well, you know what? It, it could have been, it could have been one of those things where you toured with him and never spoke to him. So, you know, there's that. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's at I least mean, that I'd one. like to speak to him again. I haven't, you know, sure. Thank him. You know, he, he took us out on our tour. If we wouldn't have went out on that David Lee Roth tour, I don't know. You know, that was the first time anyone ever saw us and he gave us our first chance. So for that, I'm in, you know, always in, in gratitude for, you know, indebted to him forever for that, because, you know, sure. The Def Leppard tour, you know, blew us up, you know, but David took us out, you know, for six weeks before anyone ever heard of us. Yeah. So I always, I always be indebted to him for that. Yeah, and I'm sure you know touring, like you're saying, with with David Lee Roth and Alice Cooper, kind of puts you in a position where there's at least the awareness of getting onto the Def Leppard tour. So um, mm -hmm. I, I'll, I, I want to talk more about the the band in a little bit, but I, I, I want to not let the title of your book hang in the air. Now, you told me about this uh, a couple of years ago when I interviewed with you, but uh, mm -hmm. I love the title of the book and uh, the fact that it, the title is "Son of a Milkman." It's not just a play on words or, or a, some clever innuendo. It's the fact that you are literally son of a milkman, correct? I am. <laughs> the, I am the illegitimate son of the milkman. And that's just you know, it, it's one of those things that's kind of just out there in the the public lexicon. Well, you know, it's always a joke, isn't it? Yeah. It's always all you were yeah, the exactly. milkman did. Yeah. Well, I was. <laughs> I am. I wear it like a badge of honor, you know, not, you know, some people say, Oh man, aren't you like ashamed to say that? And I'm like, fuck, no, I'm not ashamed of anything, man. I mean, you know, we're all fucking human. We all got whatever yeah. skeletons, whatever dirty little secrets, whatever, you know, it's just human nature. And, you know, maybe some, some of my fans are illegitimate sons of, of the postman or something so they can relate yeah so so, some, it was a funny title it it and, no it's a definitely a great a, attention grabber and then when you mentioned to me that it's actually true it's just like oh yeah what else could you possibly call the book uh yeah and you know it, it, we'll talk in, in a few minutes about you know how it's a very personal book but obviously it could also uh, appeal to people that want to just sort of get the the history of the band of tesla and your career and you talk mm -hmm. about you're very clear that look you know all, all the guys might remember it differently this is the way i remember it and uh i just uh wanted to you know ask what were some of, obviously there's so many moments that stand out in general. What were some of these big moments? We're talking about going out on these early tours with David Lee Roth, Alice Cooper, but sort of individual moments where, oh, hey, is that our song on the radio or seeing your video for the first time? 
how how much did that mean in those moments and and are those some of the moments that really define the early years of the band being together for you well i, I think at the time it meant everything i mean the first time you heard your song on the radio you know i think i pulled over turned up the radio you know because you when you were a kid you wanted to get a record deal you wanted to have your song on the radio then when you actually achieved that you were like wow okay cool this is you know and then you know you see your video for the first time on mtv and you know you see your record for the first time in the store you know what i mean and then you play your first you know big arena gig with david lee roth sure, and, yeah you know, there's so many of them, but then it just kind of got into this natural progression of the way things went. But, you know, the big thing was first hearing your song on the radio, then, you know, seeing it in, on, on MTV, then, you know, seeing your song, your record in this thing, then, you know, playing the big arena, then getting a, a gold record and then getting a platinum record and then doing it twice and then doing it three times, four times. You know, Tesla had five straight platinum records. So, uh, with our first five albums, so that was that's a, an achievement I'm pretty proud of. But I think the achievement I'm most proud of is that we're still doing it now, and that you know we broke up for five years and we managed to put it all back together, and you know be resilient. And you know that's kind of what I talk about in the book is that. You know, even though the shit, you know, comes at you in all different forms from all different directions, you got to let it just bounce off and, and keep going and keep doing, stay true to what, you know, your heart wants to do. And the one thing that, you know, even with this COVID thing, you know, I think the guys in Tesla, again, are reminded how much that the whole thing is pretty special to us, you know, yeah. um, because we've been together 20 years since we broke up and then there was what 10 years and then we were off five years or yeah because yeah it's 30 something years but you know when we got back together in 2000 we 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 were you know we were humbled and realized that it was special and you know having like this last year of events i think has done it again to us in the sense that hey we do miss each other and hey we do miss playing and and, you know, sure, when you do it, you know, month in, month out for 20 years, you know, it gets to be a grind sometimes. And, you know, you get on each other's nerves. But, you know, sitting here today, I'd give anything to get back and play with those four crazy fuckers. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that was one of the things I was thinking when I was, uh, you know, sort of reading the uh, there there is a, a chapter that uh, very much deals with the you know basically both parts of you know the party's over pills thrills and backstage fist fights uh there's some great uh chapter titles and that's one of them do you feel that the success of the previous 20 years in terms of actually staying together is because you were all able to realize how important it was whereas maybe the previous 10 to 15 years it, it just sort of had to end in that moment because yeah, guys didn't appreciate first, it or i think the first half of our career or the first 10 years we took it for granted right sure and then once we got back together in 2000 we we respected a lot more and we don't take it for granted uh the book is, which goes to you know why one of us isn't uh, 
Sorry, you were saying? Which goes to why, you know, one guy isn't in the band. Sure. Right. Which I don't really want to give him any airtime, but... That's fine. You know, he, he, you know, let's just say certain members respected what we had and certain a certain member didn't. Yeah, and I, I think that, uh, you know, you'll, you'll see bands, you don't even have to go into which ones, that uh, bands that are able to continue because of, you know, who they end up having in the band, you know? I mean, uh, it, it's a fairly controversial thing for some people, but uh, both uh, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley say that by having Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer in the band and, and not Ace and Peter, they've done 20 more years than, than they thought they were going to. And if that's what works for, and you know, that's only four guys in a band, but, it, it, and that's probably a little different because of, you know, the, that's a, a very narrow pyramid at the top with, with Gene mm -hmm. and Paul, but you hear so many bands, that's just the one that came to mind is just changing who you're going out there with. You're talking about playing every night for 20 years. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it can be that simple. Um, what I was going to ask you, though, is the book is very honest about the struggles within the band and, and of course, uh, within yourself, but within the band. And you talk about how Jeff Keith, the singer, is a very honest guy. So uh, you feel like there's no reason you can't mention how much of a challenge it was when you guys were doing what for me was always has always been my favorite Tesla album, The Psychotic Supper, uh, that you you... I have the notes right here. Uh, he just wasn't into writing because he was remodeling his house. He sent his wife to represent himself at a band meeting, but he was also doing a lot of methamphetamine. And uh, you feel, I feel like that combination must have made it very challenging to be in Tesla and try and, you know, make a record. You talked about how you had, you know, you'd had a, a series of platinum records and I believe that one ultimately did go platinum as well. Mm -hmm. But I can imagine that that was probably a particularly trying time to try and keep the momentum going when, you know, your singer is just not all in it. Yeah, it was a strange time, you know, and, and he's, you know, he's, he's, he's fine. and has been fine several times since then. Sure. It was just, you know, it was that, that writing period, you know, and, uh, you know, it was, it was crazy because, you know, he was a little bit, you know, out there on the limb and, and, uh, you know, the one day when his wife showed up for the meeting, that was kind of a, a Yoko Ono moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, look, man, that was 30 oh, years. Yeah. No, no, no. It's a long time ago. And I'm glad that, uh, obviously whatever that was, was, was not what ended the band forever, but no, no, we went on, we kept on. I mean, he got, yeah. you know, we, we made, you know, uh, uh, bust a nut after that. And sure. Then, then we busted up. <laughs> Should have been called busting up. Well, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> you know, it's funny with Jeff. You know, because I asked him, I said, "Is there anything you don't want me to talk about in the book?" He said, "No, say whatever you want. It's all true." Yeah, and I think that uh, a a lot of uh, well, not even just musicians, a lot of public figures would be like, yeah, you know, the three or four things you can't put in the book, you know, that probably a lot of people would have said that. And uh, hey, it's, look, it's kind I of didn't, I didn't say anything about anybody in the book that I wouldn't say about myself. I did drugs. I, I, I was fucked sure. up like everyone else. You know, I, I guess obviously the big thing is, you know, the skill issue, which we all know that story. So, you know, yeah. but you no, know, I'm talking about me and Frank doing drugs together and, 
and you know Troy had we all had drug issues we just never talked about it. you yeah. know what I mean you know I, I told somebody I said look you know Tesla we're never on a cover of any rock magazines the only one magazine we were ever on the cover of was rip magazine and this guy Lon Friend put us on sure. the cover yeah right? I remember Lon Friend because yeah. we weren't that kind of a marketable band you know we didn't have any outrageous guys in the band we didn't have an angus or a slash you know or an axel or tyler or perry we were just like this working class blue collar rock and roll band like bad company if you will you know and but we had you know the outrageousness that those you know we did drugs and you know we 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 had sex with women and and all those sure. things we just didn't make it you know a lot of you know a lot of that shit that was in those magazines was you know stupid shit like that yeah and you know i think maybe peter and cliff really didn't want us to be portrayed like that as well you know um you know, it, was, it always has and always will be about the music when it comes to Tesla. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I've heard you and other guys in the band always characterize it as, you know, more of like a, you know, a, a jeans and t-shirt band. And some of the bands of that era, obviously, uh, you know, maybe even some that the songs were nowhere near as good, but were on the covers of those magazines were because they played into, you know, whatever that lifestyle was. And, you know, it was right. just this, and, and, this crazy and, and, public persona, you know, the, and, and the record companies wanted you to do that. Yeah. At the time, you know, and I remember, you know, uh, Geffen wanting us to do it and Peter and Cliff really resisting it. And, and they got it in our minds early on that we didn't want to do that either. So, we were like, no, it's okay, you know. Yeah. And then we then we bitch about not being on the cover of magazines and stuff <laughs> as well. It's kind of like a double-edged sword, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, mm. you know, you 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 referenced the uh, Bust a Nut record, and uh, that came out at a time where you know, and I've talked to a lot of uh, a lot of musicians who whose careers were moving along very well at that time, <clears throat> and you know, if you had a specific kind of hard rock record come out in 93 i think that came out in 94 that mm -hmm. was you know the same if the same songs come out a couple years earlier uh there could be a lot of you know it, it wasn't even about the quality of the record it was probably about how the the company felt and they were just like yeah yeah, we're not pushing that right now we want to yeah, exactly we want to find the next happened. alice in chains or Soundgarden or whatever if so. that record would have came out when psychotic supper came out which was 91 it would have been a multi-platinum album. Right. But at that point, you know, uh, you know, Geffen had Nirvana and, and that whole scene was happening. And, you know, it's funny because I tell people, you know, um, we went from, you know, a million and a half records on Psychotic Supper to, I think we, we sold like 700,000 at that time when it came yeah, out of, sure. of Bust a Nut. And they were threatening to drop us. Now, who yeah. dropped somebody that just sold 700,000 copies? Yeah. But that was the mentality of what was going on at that point in time in the industry. You know, because, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we went from being the champions of AOR radio to no one wanting to play us and we just we couldn't understand it i think that's what 
kind of led to the demise of the band as well. Cause we just kind of felt like everyone all of a sudden turned their backs on us and didn't like us for no apparent reason outside of that, this new thing called grunge had come out. And, uh, yeah, I remember our manager Cliff just telling me one day, yeah, it's over, man. You know, Wow. No one cares about you anymore. And I was like, wow, how could you? I was thinking to myself, how could you say that to me? You know, I mean, last year we were, you know, in arenas. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, uh, and uh, I, I showed this off when I uh, talked to Frank earlier. I have on the this uh, psychotic upper, upper uh, tour shirt of the, uh, the pus head uh, uh, Nikolai That's Tesla. That's a great shirt. I, 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 I'm just shocked I can still wear it almost uh, 30 years later. I can't uh, wear so. mine. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, it's, a, it's sort of a, a badge of honor. I usually only break it out if I'm going to go see the band, but uh, I figured if I was going to talk to you. And that was, you know, that was you guys headlining. Like I saw you guys at the Meadowlands Arena in New Jersey, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it really was like the, the next album comes out. And I, I don't even remember what level of touring there was in the Northeast or whatever. And the next thing I knew, you know, the band broke up. And then I was very glad to hear that you guys were back. But I, uh, I, 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 do you feel like the only reason that, say, you're together now in 2020 is because you took that time apart? Like, was that important? Yes, yes there's all the, those circumstances yes. in that moment. But yeah. if you guys had tried to, to push through. I don't, I don't know that had that not happened, we'd still be here today. Right. I think, you know, it happened. It was a painful time in our lives. But like I said, it made some of us really appreciate what we had, which is a gift, you know, this Tesla thing. Um, and so you treat it, you cherish it and treat it with a lot more care the second time around. And, you know, like I said to you now, with this COVID thing, it's kind of done that again, because I think, you know, when we get hopefully when we do finally resume and get back to doing what we do, we'll have a lot more appreciation again. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I referenced how much I like the, uh, the titles of the chapters, the, the, uh, the return mm -hmm. of Tesla, why the fuck not, I think is, uh, it, it really stands out as one of the, you know, great, it's a great title there. Uh, you know, you, re you reference that the book is filled with, you know, the sex, drugs, rock and roll people expect from a musician's book. But I think that you also kind of talk about it in a real way about how those issues are, you know, you're ca calling attention to the fact that th exactly those things are what contributes to the way lives can spin out of control for a lot of musicians. I mean, some of them very tragically, but you sort of talk about some of your own struggles and do you feel that that was just exacerbated by being in a band that has the platinum records that has all of that or is this just something that you feel really no matter what you did this was just part of who you were and it was going to be no, hard for you to deal with no i think a lot of it was exacerbated by being in the band i mean sure. the bulimia aspect was you know i grew up i was kind of a pudgy kid and then i lost a bunch of weight and then, you know, to keep the weight off, to maintain this image of being in a rock band and a rock star, you know, I used to throw up a lot yeah. in the late 80s, early 90s. 
um, the stress issues, you know, the stress came from being in a fucking crazy band, you know, that band, I always felt that the rug could be pulled out from under us at any time, either by ourselves or, you know, by the industry, like I talk about in 95 with the grunge thing. So that was very unsettling. So there was a constant sense of stress, you know, you know, I couldn't, couldn't relax. Um, so I, I think a lot of my struggles, you know, the, the autoimmune thing, you know, the, the colitis, I was, I was probably born with that, yeah. but stress is a major trigger to that. So it kind of becomes like this vicious cycle. The stress feeds the autoimmune and, and you know what I mean? So, I mean, the worst time I ever had with my colitis is, you know, when I was on tour with Tesla. You know, and that was, I think, 2008. I, I missed a couple of shows and, you know, they wanted to hospitalize me and I wouldn't let them. And, you know, I, I, I wound up, you know, bouncing back and, and doing it. And, you know, to where today, you know, my weight fluctuates and all that stuff. And it's not because I'm pounding hog and dos and eating chocolate cakes. Right. It's because of the, the drugs I take from my autoimmune disease puts weight on you. Yeah. So it's this constant up and down thing. And that hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is now I know how to deal with it better. You know, I'm still going up and down and yeah. I still have this balancing act. I just don't let it get to me as much as I did a few years back. Because a few years back, I seriously contemplated, you know, resigning and, you know, because I just felt like shit all the time. And, you know, today I, I feel better. I feel better in the place I'm at. And, but I still have the same struggles. I mean, I still suffer, you know, from anxiety. I, I you know, I haven't been bulimic for years. Yeah. Um, you know, I got that, I overcame that, but I still, anxiety and depression and the autoimmune disease thing and, you know, the weight fluctuation, those things are daily things with me. I just... You know, I just, it's just how I attack them. And, you know, what I'm trying to get to people in the book is like, look, just because I'm in a rock band, I'm just like you. It's just my job. It's what I do. So don't think that if you have these same problems that I don't, you know, yeah. that, you know, you're not exempt because you, you know, you sold a bunch of records or whatever, you know. So, you know, hopefully you can relate to it. And when you come and see us or you listen to those songs, know that, someone else is going through what you're going through as well. And if I can help and you want to, you know, you want to talk to me about some of those issues, I'm, I'm down. You know, people, I'm really kind of a shy guy. So people, when they come up to me, they don't know how to approach me. Sure. Because if I don't know you, I won't talk to you because I'm just, I'm not that way. I'm not one of those guys that can just go, hi, I'm Brian. How you doing? <laughs> right. Jeff does. And, you know, Frank does. And, Troy certainly does, but I'm just not that guy. But it's not that I don't like people. I do. So, you know, it, it's kind of, like I said, if, you know, someone's suffering from depression, anxiety, or, you know, ulcerative colitis or something, and they want to talk to me, you know, come up, don't be afraid to say, hey, man, you know, I, I got colitis too. Yeah. You know, you know, well, and if I can help, I'll, I'll try to help you, you know, by sharing some of my stories with you. 
you know, if you want to know what kind of bass I play or something, I'm probably not that interested. In talking. <laughs> right. Well, I thought it was, uh, it's interesting in the book, you tell a story about uh, getting the opportunity to meet Chris Cornell. And uh, unfortunately, mm. as we all know, looking back, he mm. was clearly dealing with a lot of the same things. And I think for a lot of us, you know, on the outside, you just can't imagine like Chris Cornell, like what Well, that was possibly... the only time I ever met Chris. Yeah. And, you know, I was driving him and Ross around and, you know, Ross had gone in and me and Chris started talking about anxiety attacks. Yeah. And I said, dude, I have anxiety attacks, you know, he's like, yeah. And, you know, and that's what I remember from meeting him. You know, it wasn't, you know, like, you know, Spoon Man was my favorite Soundgarden song or something. <laughs> it was like, wow, this dude suffers from the same shit I suffer from. Obviously, I didn't realize how bad it yeah. was, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's a drag because he, he killed himself. You know? Yeah, so, uh, and... And, that, and I that, think that, for, you know, that's, that's what I remember from meeting him was, yeah. you know, wow. We were talking about, you know, anxiety and how he dealt with it or how, you know, how I dealt with it. You know, I think I told him I was taking, I take Paxil now or something. You know what I mean? And, yeah. You know, I, I can't remember too much about it now that, you know. No, but I, I think it, it's, it's important because it just reinforces to anybody from the outside, even you who suffer from those things, you wouldn't necessarily look at Chris Cornell and be like, oh yeah, this guy probably has a lot of things that he's worried about, you know? For those of us on the outside, he seems like the definition of somebody who would have had it all, you know? I mean, Chris Cornell yeah, looks no, the way he does. Yeah, you know, when yeah. I met Chris Cornell, we'd be talking about uh, yeah. anxiety attacks. You, you have that level of I success. I thought we were talking about, you know, music or something. Yeah, you have that level of success. You, you have that voice. You look like him. And, you know, it's just, I mean, and, and I think that that's the sort of thing why it's great that you have that anecdote in the book to kind of explain that. And, you know, the thing that I didn't realize until I read it in your book was how close together you had Chris Cornell, uh, Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park and Anthony Bourdain. I guess they all committed suicide sort of around the same time. And mm -hmm. it just, you know, just it's, I don't know. I mean, it's so hard to just imagine, but I think that that's all the more reason why I, I hope that, you know, you calling attention to all of these things uh, hopefully it is relatable to uh, people who uh, pick up the book, uh, which of course. Yeah, no, it is. It's like moment. depression's a real fucking thing. You yeah. Know, and anxiety and, and it's a scary fucking thing, especially if you don't know what it is. And, you know, I, I think I talk about it in the book of how last year I was in Canada and I had yeah. a really bad bout with depression. And, you know, I used to always think, how could someone kill themselves? I don't know you know, how someone could ever contemplate doing that, you know, until I had this really bad depression last year. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I wasn't saying I was suicidal or anything, but it was so bad. It was such like a black hole that I'd never experienced it in that way before. And after that, I, then I, I could, then I could say, well, I think I can understand why someone would do this, you know, if it, if it got worse than what I had, because I don't know what levels degree uh, Chris, Anthony or Chester 
were, were suffering, you know. All I know is I had, I had it pretty bad, and it kind of went, well, you know, this is, this is a dangerous slope. Yeah, and I think that uh, it, it was interesting that you referenced it, and you do mention in the book that it was last year when you were on that Canadian tour with Def Leppard. So as recently as last year, you know, you're well aware that you have this, you know, you have these issues, and it's just continually that much of a struggle. It's what you just said a few minutes ago that it's something that you constantly have to deal with, and uh, I think certainly you could avoid talking about it, and you know, just. Tell a bunch I mean, of stories to be quite about. Quite honest with you, I, I'm I'm dealing with it right now. Okay. You know, I mean, um, it's a depressing fucking time. Yeah. You know this COVID thing. You know, I've got this. You know, what do I do? You know, I, I don't I don't have a job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's depressing right now, and and I'm I, you know I'm I'm battling it. You know now, but I know, you know I'll be all right and. You know, I got good people around me. And if it gets really bad, then, you know, I'll call my doctor, my psychiatrist or, sure. you know, whatever. But it's not like it goes away. You don't get to pick it, right. you know. So, uh, yeah, depression and anxiety are a motherfucker, man. And anyone out there that, you know, is suffering from it, you know, reach out to somebody, you know, you know. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned, you know, a psychiatrist. And I thought the interesting thing, I think this is in, uh, you know, the, the kind of prologue to the book is that writing the book came out of talking to your therapist about sort of working through all this stuff. And you felt like the easiest way to do it was to write it out. But what I thought was the interesting thing is that was over the course of about 20 years. So what made you think that, well, now this would be the time to, to share the story, you know, if you'd been kind of putting it all together for so long? Um, you know, how it came about was, was I said to me, he said, you know, a lot of people, because this was when I was, I, I, I had really bad anxiety in 91, which was a stressful point. It's like stress. So, it all feeds it, right? So we were making psychotic supper and I just got married and there's all this stress in my life and all this uncertainty and, you know, the anxiety kicked up into a frenzy and that's how I wound up seeing Ike. And through my, my therapy with him, he said a lot of people, they let shit go by writing a book, you know, or writing it down or whatever the case may be, right? And he said, you ought to write a book one day. And I went, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> right. you know, I'm lying to the guy about how much I'm drinking and shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's all the, the, the tricks you play when you're young. You realize that you're just fucking yourself, you know. You got to right. get on with yourself. And I still wasn't being honest with myself. Um, and then I just think one day it just came to a point where, uh, you know, enough time had gone by and it started out, you know, as I'll write a book about my life in Tesla, right? Because that yeah. many years had gone by and then it, then it kind of evolved into, well, you should talk about not just Tesla because everyone does, you know, that, but also talk about the struggles you have. And then it reverted me back to Ike when he said, well, hey, look, you should write a book about, 
you know, letting all this shit go and, you know, keeping all this shit suppressed, you know, just by the, the title of the book right here. It is by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I only have a digital, yeah, I only have a digital version, so I can't hold it up. So thank you. For, yeah, uh... there it is. That's, that's the cover. <laughs> yeah. There's me looking much better than I look right now. <laughs> but like I said, I, right now I'm in my COVID depression mode. Um, um, Sorry, I lost my. Trainer. No, it's all right. So the idea of actually telling, you know, look, right, you could. Like, you, you, like I used to keep the fact that I was the milkman's son, or you know, fifteen years ago, I wouldn't have told you that my yeah. real name wasn't Brian Wheaton. I was an illegitimate son. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have yeah. shared some of that stuff because I kept it. The point being, I kept it suppressed. And I think that when you write it out and you let it go, it kind of liberates you. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And look, I think that it's, look, it, it's, look, I've read books about, uh, you know, about groupies and drugs and the tour bus and all that. That can be fun, but you can really, yeah, I know I was going to say, but you can really identify and relate to a person when they're real with you, you know, and you know, what I've seen, the book has, you know, references to all that stuff, but it really focuses on, you know, what it all meant to you as a person. And like we were just saying a few minutes ago, the impact all of it has on you, Brian Wheat, not just like, oh yeah, that guy in Tesla probably, you know, got a lot of ass when he was out on that tour with Def Leppard, you know? So I, sure I think I that, but, yeah, of course. But that's not, you know, that there's more to the, to the layers to the onion. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my, no, that's there, all right. Buddy? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're still there. Yeah, you, you, uh, you clicked away, but yeah, my uh, phone. Said, uh, I got like 20 percent battery. I'll that's all right. Well, just a couple more. No, a couple more things I'll ask you. Uh, and mm -hmm. I, I thought this was great that uh, in the notes it referenced that uh, well, I guess it was a, it was a, the notes were from an interview, and somebody asked about the best advice you'd ever gotten, and you said you got two great pieces of advice from your mom, and. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you remember what they both were, but uh, I thought that uh, they're both, but they're both very practical. One is very simple. Anything that goes up has to come down. But the more practical one is always save half of what you make. And I think that a lot of public figures, whether they be musicians, especially you hear about athletes, they don't save any of what they make. And uh, no. I, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that was, that was her thing. What goes up always comes down and save half of what you know. I dedicated the book to her. Yeah. So, you know, she was a, she was an amazing woman, you know, she, uh, we were super tight and, you know, she raised me. And like I say in the book, she took a lot of shit at that time in American society, or I don't know what it was like in the rest of the world, but you know, it wasn't, you know, too cool to have, you know, illegitimate kid. So she caught a lot of shit for it. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Including from her own family. But I, I love my mom. She was, you know, till the day, you know, I still do this day. Uh, you know, hopefully I'll see her again. You know, but not, but not too soon, you know. Uh... Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> She's up there riling up people anyways. Yeah. But, do you think? Um, do you think she would? Uh, she would say you should shave the beard, or you think that she would? Oh, she'd say, "What the fuck are you got on your face? Shave that thing off. You look like uh, uh, Ross Putin." 
<laughs> that's what she'd say. You look like Ross Putin. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's what she'd say. And I'd say, yeah, mom, well. Yeah. Rasputin, Rasputin was allowed to go outside and eat in a restaurant. So, you know, he can, yeah. do, he can do what he wants. Yeah, she'd definitely be fucking all over me about the beard. <laughs> you know, part of it is that I've never had a beard this long in my life. Right. And so I want to see how long it'll go. And part of me is like, well, I said I'd shave it when this Corona thing's over and we can go back and play it. I'm going to stick to my word. Yeah. No, no, I think that's good. I, I think that... Uh, I, uh, I, and then, you just... know, look, three years from now, there'll be some interesting pictures of me, like this, this, this interview, and people go, look how fucked up he looked. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right. And then, the, then I do the new reveal and all new, healthy, and in shape, and clean, and black hair again, <laughs> and, or brown right. hair, and instead of all gray. Well, I'm yeah, getting pretty but... gray. Um, That's all right. You know, yeah, like I so, said, it's the it's the right well, time of year turned, for that. I just turned fifty eight, so I have a few grays in there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm forty four, and I have uh, I have plenty. They're just uh, hidden well by the lighting that I'm using. Uh, and then the last Ooh. thing I wanted to ask you about is obviously the book has a co writer. His name's Chris Epting, and he had worked with Phil Collin and John Oates before. Talk about collaborating with somebody who has the experience of you know not just having written before, but having worked with uh, other musicians? Well, it was great because, you know, I started writing this book about five years ago or six years ago. And I started with my friend in England, this guy, Pete Mikowski. And, you know, he basically was interviewing me. And then he went back to England, so we didn't really get to finish it off. And he kind of wrote it in more of a English person's point of view had a lot of Englishisms in it, you know. And then I, from that, I, I switched over to this guy Kenny Nicholson, who I've known since I was a kid, and you know he's he's a pretty smart guy. So he kind of did all the uh, uh, chronological thing, you know. It was and it and when we finished that manuscript, it it was similar to what the book is now, except it read like a um, like an interview instead of a book. Okay, sure. Yeah. And at that point, then I think Mike Kobayashi said to me, my manager, why don't you try doing, you know, working with Chris, see how that goes. And, you know, to make it more of, and that's when we started to touch more on, you know, other things like the health issues and, and, you know, write it like an author that writes books. I mean, you know, I, I, I didn't write the book. I just told all the stories. Right, you know, sure. and, you know and he, he wrote and put it together. He's great. I love Chris. He's great. And, I you know, we, we're talking about doing another book, you know, after this one. Just because we had so much fun doing it. Yeah. You know, and, and he's, he's a great guy. Chris Epting's a great guy. As were Kenny and as Pete. But, you know, uh so and I, I acknowledge them all in the book, you know, but you know, Chris, that's what Chris does. He writes yeah. books. Yeah, and uh, from what I've read of it, it uh, I think it works really well as, you know, a book instead of sort of, I've I've read books that are that interview style, those can be interesting too, but I think uh, you know, you can really feel more in the moment than, you know, question and answer, you know. So Yeah, think, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, uh, Brian, best of luck with the book, Son of a Milkman. I appreciate you being so generous with your time, as you always are. Uh, I, I, I counted in my head. I think this is the fourth time I've talked to you. Uh, so yeah. uh, I always appreciate it. Uh, I usually... always enjoy talking to you because yeah. you always ask cool questions. You know what I mean? And it's always, it's always my pleasure, man. Yeah. And uh, I hope that uh, before too long, you know, I'll be able to hold up a different album that would be the new Tesla album. But really, in all honesty, I should probably replace this T-shirt that I've had since 1992. No, no, keep it, man. (laughs) I'm keeping it. I just could use another one, too, though, you know. Well, I'll tell you what. When we play another show in your area, you come and I'll give you one. All right. (laughs) I'm I'm going to clip this out and put it in my phone and I'll go over to the merch counter and I'll be like, hey. I don't need to pay for this. Brian said he's going to give me one, but uh, yeah, I can't they wait to. Will too. Yeah. Well, I hope that, uh, look, I, I, then I'll get a call backstage. Hey, there's some guy out here who says you said he could have a shirt. I said, <laughs> oh yeah. He's all right. Give yeah. Him one. Uh, I, well, I appreciate it. And look, uh, I, I hope that uh, I'm able to see the band soon and very selfishly, I, I really want it to be that show at the Hollywood ball with Alice Cooper and Lita Ford. Oh, so did I, man. And hopefully we'll be able to do it. You know, reschedule the tour, redo yeah. it. Or, you know, we were all looking forward yeah. to it. So I, 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 know, I know Alice is in his 70s now, so he's probably only going to be touring for about 10 more years. So <laughs> somewhere in there. Uh, I really appreciate it. Son of a Milkman. And uh, I, I held it up but for our audio listeners, the most recent Tesla album, Five Man London Jam. And of course, yep, Son of a Milkman right there for those watching. And uh, you can always find out more if you go to blackhouse.com, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T, the Blackhouse on Facebook, and of course on Twitter. That is all of our time, but we will see you next time on the Blackhouse. Nobody gets something from nothing.